This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where every week we examine the financial and business news from across the world. I'm Nick Howard, and joining me is Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. Craig, very good to speak with you again. Let's kick off with the US, which added 1.8 million jobs in July, slightly beating expectations. What does this tell us? Well, I'm, not, I'm still not convinced it tells us too much. Uh, I still look at a lot of this data with a lot of uh, scepticism because in much the same way that a lot of the bad data which came out in the few months after the pandemic got underway and the lockdown had started, people gave it a free pass because they, wasn't, they weren't sure how much of it was representative of the medium and long-term damage that, um, that was probably more important and how, how, um, how symptomatic it was of the shorter-term issues that were facing um, the economy uh, as well. And I, I kind of see this in the same way. I think we see so much volatility in the data now that you could see one really strong report now and a, a quite a bad report in a week's time. You're looking at a, a relatively decent jobs report here. Uh, with one, one, just under 1.8 million jobs added. But at the same time, you're also celebrating unemployment dropping to 10.2%. And you don't know how much further it's going to drop when, uh, in three months' time, six months' time, once uh, the economy starts to re- reopen more normally. We don't understand what the new normal is going to be. So that enormous cloud of uncertainty does just um, create uh, a few issues for me with a lot of these data points. Don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean you can completely ignore them, but I don't think you can get too carried away with them in either way, uh, especially not if you're not going to get carried away with the bad figures and the good figures you do have to take with a pinch of salt to some extent as well. The ADP number on Wednesday was uh, far worse, but we're kind of used to these numbers not actually being reflective of each other. Um, so, so I don't think that's had too great an impact. And I think from the market reaction that we've seen in the aftermath of this release, you can see that people broadly agree. On an economic calendar like I'm looking at now, you can just see a sea of green, whether you're looking at the average hourly earnings, the NFP number or the unemployment rate, which means it's beating expectations across all three. Um, uh, And that's probably what's contributed to the fact that these markets did tick higher in the immediate aftermath. The fact that they then paired back to where they were before, or in the dollar's case, even a a little bit lower, that just kind of shows you that it may still have the kind of impact factor immediately uh, after the release. But more broadly speaking, it doesn't really move the needle in terms of what people are expecting. Now, the big factor in how sticky um, these numbers are going to be is the stimulus package that we're still waiting for from Congress. Um, this has been delayed so much that, uh, that actually um, the recess has been delayed. They've uh, kept at their jobs um, to try and get this through. I suppose the problem is we're so close to the election now that neither Democrats or Republicans want to give any territory to their opponents. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think either also wants to be responsible for people going without these, uh, the, these unemployment benefits that they have relied on now for the last three or four months while they've not been working uh, temporarily uh, and hopefully only temporarily. Although we know that that's not going to be the case in 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 many circumstances. Um, but at the same time, the, 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 this is still a negotiation and it kind of reminds me of Brussels at times. It's These things do take an awfully long time. These, thing, these issues do get politicised and they tend to take right up until the deadline and sometimes a little bit beyond to get something over the line. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they always come through in some form or another. You can see that the Donald Trump is trying to put pressure on, on the Democrats now to come more over their way um, by suggesting he may even use an executive order in order to... Uh, 
push through a stimulus plan of sorts. There's a whole host of issues around that, not least the legality of enacting such a measure. Uh, but I'm sure there's plenty of lawyers looking at whether that would be plausible and how it would be implemented and how long it would take to be fought in the courts and whether that could take them at least through the election uh, and come across as a win as far as uh, Trump and the, the, the Republicans are concerned. Uh, I think a, a deal today still looks really unlikely, which was the deadline which they set themselves. But I think that's a kind of a self-imposed deadline. I think I think both sides will come to an agreement at the end of the day. There will be a compromise uh, because it's in all lawmakers' interest to protect the American public because otherwise they won't have to wait too long to be published at the poll uh, to be punished at the polls. Now you mentioned executive orders. Uh, Trump has also muddied the waters with uh, well and made good on his threats to ban TikTok, the social media app favoured by um, much younger um, people than us, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> he's signed an executive order banning US companies from doing business with the app and also the other Chinese uh, social media app WeChat within 45 days. I mean, this is obviously something that he's been talking about for some time, but it's not going to do anything good for relationships between uh, Washington and Beijing. No, this re- this really feels in many ways kind of like a killer blow because you've now set a precedent because you're saying effectively your data isn't safe with the with the Chinese uh, leadership. And if that's the case, then that's the case across basically any technology company that comes out of uh, China. You're effectively trying to say um, if you want to break out of China as a, as a, as a technology firm, then you've got you're going to really struggle because we can always go back to the fact that this is a this is a data issue, data privacy issue. So you, they've really set the stores out on this one. Uh, and the fact that the way that this is progressing in particular with TikTok in that you're talking about an American technology firm, massive American technology firm, potentially buying them out at a point of weakness um, because of the the White House's action again makes this extremely sensitive and even more open to uh, retaliation. Uh, the you're effectively saying to this company, you can either sell to this American company or you can just go or you can just stop operating in the US where you have around 80 million customers. And then what other countries will follow suit after that? Which countries are going to agree with with um, with Trump uh, on this particular issue, as you've seen, other countries have followed other actions against Chinese firms. So this puts them in a really sensitive situation and leaves this open to all kinds, uh, a huge can of worms uh, being opened up. So whether you're a Chinese technology company right now, an American one, you may be looking at this thinking, God, I really hope this de-escalates very quickly because this could be problematic. Right, let's, there's a couple of points there, so let's hit them one at a time. First up, you mentioned, of course, that this is a, an attack on a, um, a non-US company over data issues. How much do you think this is about protectionism? Because TikTok is really one of the, well, if not the only non-Silicon Valley US tech firm to really compete in the same level as those, uh, those big companies. So I, I do think this is probably um, a concern as far as uh, the, the US uh, and probably other countries as well are concerned. We've seen from the experience with Hong Kong um, as that that 
it's not necessarily the data side of things, but people think that they've gone a step too far in terms of what they what they should be doing in relation to Hong Kong. And we've seen from the Chinese response to to people's views on that this kind of idea of this is our issue, not yours. You need to back off. That 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 type of um, that that type of response um, has not really uh, sat too well. Uh, I think it's safe to say the with regards to the UK, for example, the UK saying that it uh, this effectively breaches. The, the terms of the treaty and uh, and the UK to then be told this is not your problem uh, then then all of a sudden people start it, it starts to cast a lot of doubts over the, almost like kind of the value the value of a Chinese uh, assurance over something the value of a Chinese signature I saw one person uh, put it as uh, and therefore when you are talking about a, a, a technology company like this which is collecting data uh, if there is a security law within China that allows them to force them to hand over that data, then that creates a massive, uh, a ma- massive amount of problems. And this seems to be the area uh, that, that's particularly uh, problematic as far as what the White House is complaining about now. And again, that may, that creates problems for a, a whole host of companies that want to potentially break out of China and compete on a more global scale. The other side is I do think this is probably just another fight uh, between the US and China. We've seen many of them now over the years, and we're going into an election period when um, Trump has loudly criticized China uh, across a number of different areas, including the coronavirus. So this the, the kind of ramping up of tensions in many ways, I think, from his perspective, is seen to benefit him uh, in, in this particular uh, campaign. So I don't think we're going to see any shortage of, of it over the course of the next few months, whether this is continued into a new term, should he uh, should he actually win the election in November, then that is then then that would be a further topic of conversation because that could be a much bigger uh, issue for many firms. Like I say, this isn't just Chinese firms trying to break out of China onto the global stage. There's a number of massive tech firms who are also trying to break into China, and Chinese retaliation has to come will come in some form, and it will likely come um, you would imagine uh, on many of those firms. So this could this is something that could turn into a much uh, a much greater issue and it's something that you can't really see either side necessarily backing down on on the face of it and which way do you think the uk will turn in this so with huawei we followed uh, mr trump's lead in terms of um uh, banning the company from uh, involvement in uh, in 5g networks etc um after many months even years of um toing and froing on on what the outcome would be now for tiktok um things are slightly different that um on the one hand, you do have um, America's stance, but the UK is currently in the process of wooing the um, the firm which owns uh, TikTok to try and actually make their international headquarters in London. Yeah, I think this is very politically sensitive, to be quite honest, because as far as the UK is concerned, um, they, they've clearly frustrated China with their decision with regards uh, to Huawei equally. Uh, the issue that I've already raised with regards to Hong Kong, that's very much frustrated the UK. Uh, and you, you can see that the relationship between these two countries now is is not as good as it was. And it, that I think that's probably to put it uh, mildly. And I think there's probably going to be a huge lack of trust uh, between the two sides now as a result uh, because of the, the the actions being taken on both sides. It wasn't too many years ago that David Cameron and George Osborne were going on a big charm offensive in China trying to woo uh, uh, Chinese um, uh, cash effectively uh, to invest 
here in the UK. Uh, and now you, they, they, they followed up with the action on Huawei. You can see that that's, that that's created a big trust issue as far as the Chinese are concerned. And like I say, uh, with regards to Hong Kong. So you wonder whether the UK is going to try and take a bit of a step back on this uh, and try and just let things blow over. Because if they side with the US again on this uh, and go against uh, the Chinese leadership, you you would imagine that the, the, the relationship between the two will be almost entirely, well, not entirely broken down, but will be severely damaged to the point that you just wonder how that type of relationship is rebuilt, assuming that they want to. Perhaps um, uh, the UK under Boris Johnson views the 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 partnership with the US to be far more important than uh, than any um, any partnership with China, any inbound investment from China. Uh, that seems to be the way they're heading, but who knows? And of course, with that US-UK trade deal still looking as far away as ever, um, the leverage that the White House will have over issues like TikTok is going to be very significant when Boris Johnson's government is keen to actually get a signature on the dotted line to prove the various arguments about Brexit. Is it correct? Yeah, I mean, and we certainly saw those those forces applied um, when the UK appeared to be open to still allowing uh, Huawei into the non-essential um, components uh, within the UK, into the non-essential network and away from the core, but still um, are, are quite significant. I think it was around 30% at the time um, that the, the US was very much against uh, the UK's decision to do that. And they've clearly won them over um, since then. The it's like I say, it's quite clear that the US relationship is extremely key. Ultimately, if we leave the EU, particularly if we don't manage a deal by the end of this year, and you can see relations that, um, the as I say, Cameron and Osborne previously tried to build with China uh, crumbling, and then you see a, a trade deal with the US all of a sudden being very hard to come by, then it's going to be some job trying to make a success in the immediate term of Brexit because it seems like you're kind of burning bridges right, left and centre at that point. And the UK is going to be uh, very clear that that's not what it wants to do. And I think, therefore, that just puts even more importance and more emphasis on that US-UK uh, trade deal. I guess the other curveball that could come into this is if Trump doesn't win re-election in November because all of a sudden you've aligned yourself with um, a country under a president who was very strongly supportive of Brexit uh, and now he's no longer around to be able to actually um, be of any assistance when you need them most. Well, let's talk about the UK economy going into the end of this year then. So we've heard from the Bank of England's Governor Andrew Bailey this week in terms of um, what he feels um, the, the recovery process will look like. How are you actually looking at this at the moment? Well, I think a lot of these forecasts now are going to be subject to a number of number of revisions. We've already seen plenty of revisions over the course of the last five, four or five months. That's extremely understandable. People were, to, in the very early days of COVID, were really just pl plucking numbers out of thin air uh, and hoping that they would be remotely close. Uh, but that's all. We, we didn't have any data. We didn't have any knowledge. We didn't know enough about the virus. We didn't know enough about the transmission. We didn't know enough um, about almost anything, it seemed, at the time. So... We, we said even back then that anyone's forecasts are borderline uh, irrelevant uh, and you saw a lot of companies actually during earnings season just not even bothering to offer outlooks because they were effectively saying that the path is so unclear that, that there's no point um, and you're even seeing some in this earnings season who have done the same. So you look at a lot of these forecasts that a lot of them will point out. They are offering, trying to offer as much guidance and say this is what we're working with, uh, and here's the here's the here's the supporting factors. And with every passing month, you're dealing with more and more information, which can only be helpful and make them a little bit more reliable. Um, 
but things can change and quite rapidly as we've seen throughout this pandemic so we've seen these uh, growth forecasts which have actually slightly improved from the bank of england but that could deteriorate again if we get another lockdown in london uh, that could deteriorate again if we get um, more prolonged lockdowns in other parts of the country so you you almost not necessarily take them with a pinch of salt per se but you have to take you have to accept that they are going to be subject to change and they're highly likely uh, to evolve uh, over the course of the next few months because the next few months may be a little bit easier to manage than the last few months, but that doesn't mean it's going to be far, it's going to be straightforward. And also, these forecasts were always only meant to be offered as guidance before. And for the last ten years, all I've ever heard about is people complaining about the fact that they've not necessarily been particularly uh, reliable in terms of their accuracy of actually forecasting what the next, uh, what the period period of time ahead is. And that was during periods which were far more certain than what we're living in now. All right, with that uncertainty in your mind then, um, we're looking towards the end of the US reporting season. What are you actually looking ahead to and what are you using to actually pick your way through markets? Well, I think we, for one, we have to you have to kind of take it a step at a time. So we've got through earnings season. The earnings season itself wasn't too bad, uh, and I say that even though I think the uh, profit, uh, the earnings decline was around thirty five percent, but that was uh, that, uh, but that was less than it was uh, predicted to be uh, even a few weeks ago. So that, that I guess you have to take that um, in a positive manner. Uh, the the expectations is still that it's going to be um, a very bumpy road ahead but again that doesn't necessarily change anything the but then you have to kind of like say you have to take these things one step at a time we we're dealing with the us that seems to be maneuvering its way through a second wave uh, across the sun belt and across a few other states as well and um, they seem it's many in many cases to be kind of uh, seeing some improvement uh, but that doesn't mean that that's going to last and it doesn't mean that we're not going to see further spikes elsewhere or indeed in these states again uh, uh, third spikes as it were the, the case count seems to be starting to make its way in the right direction and you would hope that in a couple of weeks the death toll does as well but again we're still seeing huge numbers of cases uh, uh, and there is going to be spikes not just in the US but there is going to be spikes elsewhere as well so that's going to be something that we're going to be continue to monitor the next massive risk event is undoubtedly the election in November because this is something that has the impact the ability to influence uh, a lot of different things depending on what the outcome is going to be and that that, that that's even assuming that it's going to be a smooth election um uh, that that this that the results aren't going to be disputed uh, to the nth degree which i already anticipate they will be especially if we have postal voting because we've already seen um uh, trump turning up the heat uh, on that uh, on his twitter account so uh, I, I think we were effectively moving from maneuvering from one major event to the other at this moment in time, and they're all massive events taken individually. So combined, uh, it, it's it. Uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is we're not going to be bored between now uh, and the end of the year. It's amazing to think that we sat there. Uh, at the back end of December, uh, myself and yourself and uh, uh, and a couple of other people uh, in one of the studios at, at Jazz FM Towers, and we were talking about this year, and it it, it, it it's obviously uh, it, it can't can't be helped, but it's incredible to think how different this year has been than how we anticipated back then. Granted, you can't you can't predict the pandemic and everything that follows, but this has been a truly truly. Um, Un- unbelievable year um, and I don't think the next four months are going to be any less eventful yeah nothing more difficult to predict than the future 
Craig, always a pleasure to uh, speak with you. It's Craig Earl and their senior market analyst at Oanda. This is the Oanda Market Insights podcast. It's available from iTunes and anywhere that you can get podcasts. I'm Nick Howard. Join us again next week. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.